Hello, Valley family. Thank you so much for joining us today, especially for the beginning of our new series, Seven, where we are going to be exploring, I said seven, and it's just my name, but we are so grateful that you are here with us for this new series called Seven, where we are exploring the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. And maybe you're new to church or maybe you're just not familiar with the I am statements. But in the book of John, in the Gospels, we see that Jesus makes seven declarations about himself, which shows not only his godly identity, but also shows what his mission is here on earth and why we should care about it. So I'm so excited to be kicking off this series, especially because we're going to be talking about not only one of my favorite I am statements that Jesus makes, but one that I believe will truly impact the way that you live your life because of the truth of the statement. Before we get into that, though, I want to ask a question to all the people in here and to all of you guys watching online. Shout out to all of you guys that are with us. Do you like scary movies? Does anybody in here, anybody in all, online, you can put it in the chat, if you will, like scary movies? I know that is such a strange question to ask in a church service. They may never ask me to speak again because I asked this question. But either way, is anybody here a fan of scary movies? And yes, I know God has not given us a spirit of fear. We did a whole series on that already. I get it. But I have a confession to make. I do enjoy a good scary movie. I'm not like a, I don't like like the paranormal or like the demon possession movies. I like a good zombie movie. I like a good kind of thriller in that type of sense. But the irony about that is, is that I grew up in a very charismatic Pentecostal home. Many of you guys that have heard me speak, have heard me talk about that plenty of times. And part of that upbringing was that scary movies were not allowed whatsoever. It was a borderline capital offense to get caught in my home watching a scary movie. But when I was a teenager, I, I really wanted to watch scary movies. I thought that they were so entertaining. I think there's no other cinema that gets you so emotionally involved, that makes you talk at the screen the way a scary movie does. And I remember I was in school and I was talking with a bunch of friends of mine and all of my friends were talking about this new scary movie that came out. I can't even remember what it was, if I'm going to be honest with you. I thought it could have been Halloween or whatever the movie was. But I remember thinking to myself, man, I would love to watch that movie. And my friend was like, hey, bro, I got you. I got a DVD copy at my home. I'll let you borrow it. Now, here's the thing about that. I already told you I was not allowed to watch scary movies growing up. But also, in my home growing up, there was only one television in our home that had a DVD player. And it was the television downstairs in our family home. It was a family room slash basement type of setup. And it had this French door, this clear French door that you could uh, use to go in and out the room. But my parents always used that door to be sure that me and my sisters were not watching something we weren't supposed to be watching in this room. But I told myself, you know what? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait very late at night on a Saturday for my parents to go to sleep because my parents always went to sleep 
early on Saturday for church on Sunday and late Saturday night, then I'm going to watch the movie downstairs. They'll be so deep in sleep. They won't hear anything. They won't know anything. So the plan goes down. It's Saturday night. I put the movie on. It's late at night. It must have been 11 o'clock or so. And I needed to be sure that I watched this movie, put the DVD away, all that good stuff to be sure I hit it. And then also look like I went to sleep and waking up in time to praise Jesus the next day. All right. So I watched the movie and I kid you not, this is a true story. It's a scary movie. It's like one of those slasher horror movies, whatever. And I am watching this movie. And as I am watching this movie, the power goes out. And suddenly I go from watching this movie like, oh, this is an entertaining movie to the power going out. And now I'm like, oh, my goodness, he's coming for me next. This person is coming for me next. And true story, I got up. Now that power's off, I can't get the DVD out. And I go to walk upstairs because I'm like, you know what? I'll just wake up early, get the DVD before my parents even know. And as I am walking to the door, the French clear door has a silhouette of a man standing just like this. I am terrified. I don't know who this is. I don't know where he came from. Everyone else in the house is asleep. And I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, I am truly the next victim in this movie, which is now apparently a true story. And I'm thinking to myself as I look at this silhouette, and I'm not talking about the TikTok silhouette, as I'm looking at this silhouette and I, and I don't know what to do, the best I could do was muster up the strength to say in the deepest, strongest voice possible, Who's there? And the voice that I heard on the other side was my dad. And he was like, uh, it's, it's your dad. Why are you awake? And what, what is happening in here? And I was like, oh, dad, thank God. It's all good. And he was like, wait, was that a scary movie you were just watching? And literally the level of fear that I had before I found out it was my dad definitely came all the way back and I got in a huge amount of trouble. Now, why do I tell you this very strange story about getting in trouble when I was in high school? Because it's so funny to me how we make up things when we're lost in the dark. It's so funny to me that when we're living in darkness, maybe the power goes out or we walk into a room and we can't find a light, how suddenly any touch, anything that you can kind of see dimly in the distance suddenly becomes a threat, suddenly becomes dangerous, which is why it's so important that we have light. But I don't want to talk about physical darkness today. I want to talk about spiritual darkness. Because spiritual darkness comes with many names. Spiritual darkness for you could be insecurity. Spiritual darkness for you can be a pornography addiction. Spiritual darkness for you can be a level of depression or difficulty that seems to continue to keep you hurt, scared, fearful, which is why I believe this statement that Jesus says in John 8, verse 12, is so powerful. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, not physical darkness, spiritual darkness, emotional darkness, the darkness that we were just talking about, but will have the light of life. This is the I am statement we're talking about today. But I want to give some context to what Jesus is saying and why he's saying it, because I think it's so powerful. You see, at the time of John chapter 8 and at the end of John chapter 7, we see that Israel is currently ex experiencing the celebration known as the festival of Tab, excuse me, as the Feast of Tabernacles. This is also known today as Sakat. And this tradition was used to celebrate how the people of Israel had left Egypt, that they went through the wilderness and were now in a prosperous place. But also the celebration was an opportunity for them to believe that God was going to do something more, that he was going to continue to deliver them. He was going to continue to speak to them. And in this week-long celebration, they did different things. They ate particular food. Some people would literally build uh, tents that they stayed in for the week because it was supposed to be symbolic of the people of Israel when they were in the wilderness. But the one thing that was so powerful that they did was the illumination of the tabernacle. And that's actually what you're looking at right here. This is a model of the, of the temple that they had. And here in this temple, they had four menorahs four um, candelabras that they lit up and it was made of gold and limestone. I believe you have another picture here too that you can see. Yeah, you can, you can kind of get a better idea of these candelabras. And, and they lit these up and it was lit up all night as a symbol of when God had a pillar of fire that led the people by night through the wilderness. But not only did they have these candelabras lit up in this illumination uh, celebration, but also they had other people that would like torches and people would dance and sing all night as a celebration and also a request to God. God, thank you for saving us, but also can you save us again? Can you deliver us again? Can you lead us again? And what was so cool, I think this is so great, because back in this time period, there was no competing light. So there was multiple scholars that believed that these lights were so big and so bright that they literally lit up almost the entire city. You could not, you could not be anywhere in the city and not see this bright light. So when Jesus is speaking in John chapter 8, he is actually speaking the day after this ceremony is over. And he's in the temple teaching where these candelabras are no longer lit, but they are still present. And he's teaching and we see that there's something that happens at the beginning of John chapter 8 that we need to discuss. John chapter 8, starting at verse 6. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this as a, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. See, when it comes to darkness, and not physical darkness, but spiritual darkness and the darkness that we are, are, are experiencing on a more emotional level in our lives. It's important to understand 
that darkness is where you do dreadful things. You see, often when a light goes out, it's shocking. It's, 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 it's unsettling. But seemingly, the longer you are in darkness, the more comfortable you can be doing things in the dark that may not want to be known in the light. There's a lot of people in here right now that knows what it feels like to be caught. And getting caught in a sin, maybe it was even the sin of adultery, maybe it was even some other type of scandalous behavior that you had, and uh, I've just been discouraged the past several weeks if I'm hearing pastors that I looked up to and, 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 and referenced and and enjoyed hearing their messages, have scandals be revealed about things that they're doing. But I also can't say much because I know what it's like to be in that situation myself to some degree. See, one of the biggest mistakes of my life was when I was in college and I was in student leadership at this particular college and I had the opportunity where I would be able to do Bible studies with people in my dorm if they were uh, interested in doing Bible studies. And I was somebody that was also studying to get my bachelor's in biblical studies and eventually my master's. And I definitely felt like I was on the right track to becoming a very successful minister, maybe even a teacher of theology here at that school. And as I was in that pursuit, while I was doing all of these things externally, I also had some issues going on internally. And because of the issues that I had going on internally, sometimes I would act out in the dark. And part of that meant I got into a relationship with somebody who was very toxic. This person wasn't toxic. This person wasn't a bad person, but this person was bad for me. And because of this toxic relationship, I got into toxic friendships and I got into toxic behaviors. And let me say this as well, because we just finished our series relationship goals. And to all of my single people in here, to all of my single people online, let me just let you know, I know the struggle is real. Loneliness is real. Loneliness can feel like a dark place in itself. And oftentimes in the pursuit of us trying to find someone or something to satisfy us, we will settle for whatever we can take. But I promise you, I'm telling you as a witness that many times what you can do in a moment can affect the lifetime you have after that. Because after I got into this relationship, which led to these friendships, which led to this behavior, and I was trying to be this person that would be holy and look superior in public and then have in the back me hanging out, goofing off, acting stupid with these, with these friends, it eventually ended up with me getting caught and getting reported to the student leadership, me uh, doing what I wasn't supposed to be doing with a group of other people that was against the leadership code. And I ended up losing my position. And that affected me in so many ways. First off, I was let go from the student leadership board. I had to tell the people that I was doing Bible studies with to their face of what happened and why it happened. And I don't want to get too much into it, but let me just be quick to say it was stupid. It was a moment of stupidity, me trying to be funny, me trying to be cool, that ended up in me making a mess of my life. 
It affected me financially because the student leadership position offered uh, uh, a little bit of uh, student uh, forgiveness towards, uh, towards loans. Scholarship is what you call that, by the way. And I remember going through a season of just feeling so much shame and disappointment and disheartened because I messed up. I, I, I made a mess of myself. And I did it in the dark, thinking that what I was doing privately would never affect what I did publicly. And here's the worst part about that story. The worst part is, is that even though I was forgiven, even though I was restored, even though, thank God, because of accountability and people in my life and the grace of God that gave me another chance, I, could, I got back on student leadership and I got promoted. And that's all great and that's all dandy. But the thing about that is that was so crazy was even though so many other people forgave me and gave me another chance, the person that was hardest was me. It was hard to look myself in the mirror. Even though I moved on past it, there are still moments where sometimes I have to find the ability to forgive myself because of the negative actions that I've done in that moment. And I wonder if that was this woman too. Now, we don't know. But what we do know is that this woman was caught doing a dreadful thing something that I'm sure she had no idea that she would ever get caught for. But here's the other thing about the darkness, and I want to go into this next part of John chapter 8, verse 6. Picking up where we left off, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him, him being Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone, who, let anyone of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the oldest ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now, there's so much debate about what Jesus wrote in the sand. Some people believe Jesus wrote the sins that these people committed. Others believe Jesus wrote the names of the people that these Pharisees possibly were sleeping with on their own. We don't know if that's the case. I like to joke around and think that Jesus was simply just writing down his grocery list before he left the temple. He's like, oh, I need some milk. Let me be sure I get some kosher beef, whatever. But we also are very aware that whatever Jesus wrote doesn't really matter. Because it wasn't what he wrote that made the people walk away. It was what he said that convicted them. See, when it comes to darkness... I think not only do we do dreadful things in the dark, but I think there's also a sense where darkness can make you spiritually delusional. And this is what I mean by that. The longer you are in the dark, 
And this is a scientific fact. This is why uh, even sometimes in particular prison systems and institutional places, there's isolation where they don't have lights and things of that nature. It's actually a form of torture. Because the longer you are in the dark, the more it starts to affect your memory, the more it starts to affect um, your response to different things, and also it starts to affect your perspective. You can actually start to think that things that are near you are far from you, and things that are far from you are actually very close to you. And I think when it comes to spiritual darkness, oftentimes we can perceive that because our sin is not as plentiful as the person that has their sin or got caught in sin, that we somehow have the ability to judge them for their sin. I'll say it one more time. I think many of us think because our problems, our issues, our secret habits that people don't know about are still in the dark, that we can judge those people whose actions have been brought to the light. But what Jesus is making clear here is that there is no one righteous. There is no one that is worthy to be considered or put in a situation where they could rightfully judge another person. Now, here's the deal. We need to be upfront about what's happening here. What this woman did was wrong. This woman has destroyed someone's home. This woman has caused for there to be a derailment of a future marriage, possibly two marriages if she was married herself. And there needs to be some right consequences to what happened. But where the Pharisees are wrong is that they would even use this woman to prove a point or try to manipulate this person's problem in order to get the up over Jesus. That's sick. That's wrong. And in so many ways, they were sinning just as much as this woman that got caught in the sin. If I could just give you a different illustration, I just want to be sure that this cements in for everybody in here. A spiritual mentor one time told me this, and I believe that this was very effective. He said, imagine you and me are on a beach somewhere in New York, Connecticut, what have you, and we are standing on a dock. And I say, you know what, Stephen, I'm going to jump off this dock and land in Europe all the way across the Atlantic. And I go to jump off and somehow I slip and I end up falling right into the water right when I get to the edge of the dock. And you say, you know what? I'm going to try to jump off this dock and get to Europe. I'm going to jump across the whole Atlantic. And then I manage to get all the way to the front and I jump as hard as I can. And even though I jumped as hard as I could, I still only land a few feet in front of you after you fell in the water. See, you could boast all you want that you jumped farther than me. You can make fun of me because I fell. You can make fun of me because uh, I don't have the same ability as you to get as far in the water. But neither of us are anywhere close to Europe. 
The same way neither of us are any way close to Europe, you can say with, with all the pride in your heart that you're more righteous than me, that you're better than me because you don't have the same problems that I do. You don't have the same addictions that I have. You don't have the same uh, uh, sin uh, uh, history that I, that, that I have. But you are nowhere near the righteousness needed to ever appease God. You are so far away from ever being able to be seen by God as somebody worthy of salvation on your own strength. We need to be careful. Because oftentimes, maybe you're in here and you haven't done anything that was superior in, in sin. And maybe there's no skeletons in your closet But there still is a bent inside of you, a brokenness inside of you that needs healing, that needs help. See, we see in Scripture that there was only one person that was good enough to ever earn the love of God, and it was Jesus himself. So it's important that we see what Jesus does when faced against the woman that committed a grave sin and the men that wanted to punish her because of her sin. John 8, verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And this, Valley family, is the moment. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus' statement of being the light of the world came after confronting the darkness of man. Came in the presence of a temple where there were large candelabras that were celebrating how God had delivered the people of Israel before and they were believing that God would deliver them again. Jesus is saying, I have come to deliver not just you, I have come to deliver the whole world from the darkness that you are experiencing. That's the power of Jesus. Do you know why Jesus didn't condemn her? Because Jesus came to take her condemnation. Jesus came to die a death that she was worthy of taking. And whatever it is that you feel you're worthy of, you may feel like you're worthy of shame. You may feel like you're worthy of being cast out. You may feel you're worthy of no longer getting another chance. Jesus took that pain. Jesus took what you believe you deserved and he nailed it to the cross. So we can say with confidence what we see in Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you are still struggling to stop doing. There is no longer a condemnation in you because Jesus paid it all. It's covered. It's taken care of. And there is a newness of life that we can experience today. What I love about the story of Jesus is Jesus is saying in this declarative moment that he is showing up with a light, not to expose us, not to just make us look bad and, 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 to, and to make us feel worse about ourselves. He has come like a first responder. Jesus is like the firefighters and the police officers that ran into the rubble during 9-11. He's come to save those that are in distress, not run away. So how do we respond to this? By understanding that the light of Jesus will lead you out of darkness. But also understanding that he's given us a similar calling as well. See, out of all of the I am statements that Jesus makes, the, de the declarations of who he is and how uh, he responds, what his mission is to people on earth, when he says, I'm the light of the world, he also says that we are the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. In the time that I have left, I just want to encourage you with this, Valley family. Follow the light. Scripture shows that this light that we bear is not a light that is within ourselves, but it is a light that is reflective upon the light of Jesus that we experience. This world needs to see more light. This world needs to see that depression doesn't have to rule us, that addiction doesn't have to rule us, that anxiety, fear, anger, it doesn't have to rule us, that the moments of sin that we committed, the things that we have been caught in and the things that perhaps maybe we need to confess about, that those things do not define us, but the light of Jesus is enough. The light of Jesus is powerful enough to shine that light. And people need to see it in us so they could also see it for themselves. It's so important to remember this verse. I just want to read this verse one more time. John 8, 12. Jesus spoke again to the people. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I love that. The light 
of life. We have experienced so much death. We've experienced so much division. We've experienced so much depravity in our culture, in our lives, in our world. And Jesus offers that if you will follow him, and I think it's powerful seeing how he's talking to a Jewish audience that is very familiar with how there was a pillar of fire that led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land and is now saying he is going to do that for the world in a spiritual sense. The things that we are enslaved to, the difficult journey that it takes to find wholeness and life, he's the light that will guide us. How do you follow this light? Following Jesus, loving Jesus, growing in Jesus, worshiping Jesus. It's so simple, but so complex. In a world where there are so many things that distract, but it is the most powerful thing that we can do. And it's with that that I want to pray for you right now. Will you pray with me? And in this prayer, my simple request is this, that we follow the light of Jesus. Jesus, your word is powerful. It's simple. Follow you. It's so easy to say, but difficult to do. And Jesus, we humbly surrender to you today, believing that you are the best thing for us, that to follow you is better than to live in the darkness that we have been trapped in for so long. Father, you already know the sins we have. You already know the issues we're dealing with. Whether the world knows, whether a few people know, whether it's just us, you know. And you still love us. You're still for us. And you still care for us. Your light brings a warmth to our lives along with the direction to follow. Give us the ability to follow you with reckless abandon. In Christ's name. And I want to just pray real quick because maybe you're watching online and you haven't given your life to Jesus. Maybe you're watching online and you say, you know what, I need to rededicate myself to following the light of Jesus because I've just surrounded myself in darkness. Can you just repeat these words after me if that's you? Dear Jesus, please come into my life. I want to follow you. I want to live in your light of life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I accept this gift in Christ's name.